think in today's culture and climate, every birthday is a milestone birthday right now, isn't it? So our brother Greg, it's a happy birthday for you in a few days, Lord willing. And it's just such an honor and a joy for me to be here uh, at First Baptist Kingdom. And uh, I love this church. I love your pastor. Had an incredible first service. I just want to say this. Um, I, I have uh, traveled the roads and churches of Florida, Tennessee, and Ohio. And um, pastors, there's just there's none much finer than your pastor. Dr. Greg Jackson is just... Um, top shelf as far as a humble leader, a great scholar, and an incredible pastor and preacher. Can you just show us appreciation for Brother Greg real quick? And just what a incredible leader he is. Not much better. And I just appreciate the invitation. One of the great joys I have uh, in this role is to travel our great state and preach in the pulpits of our churches. And, um, and I know he loves this church. The corner of hope in Camden, as he always tells us in Columbus. And uh, it's just a joy to be here and to see it and be with you and uh, this new role. And um, I was a church planner. Someone came to me right before the service started and said, I remember you 13 years ago. And I thought, oh, my, what did I say? You know, I was a new church planner in 2008 in Marysville, Ohio. And uh, a brother here as part of this church has some, he said some property in Plain City and was stopping in that day. I mean, we're like the wandering kids of Israel. If you could find us, good luck. We went from place to place, outgrowing everything we could meet in. I guess he found us in our school that we launched our church in, and he's here today, and I uh, just appreciate that word of encouragement. Past five years, I've been in Tampa, Florida, uh, helping plant churches all over the world. People ask me, who in the world leaves Tampa, Florida, and comes back to Ohio? And I say, the person who's crazy following God. That's exactly where, what I'm doing, and, uh, but I love our state. I love Ohio. Uh, I can go vacation in Florida. It's a little weird to walk into church on Christmas Day and sweat to death. Jingle Bells has a different feel, all right? So I like being back in Ohio. It was a little chill in the year. I love this morning drive. I got up at 5 a.m., drove down here uh, from Columbus, and uh, saw the frost on all of the fields, and that just makes me happy. Uh, I know that's crazy, but it makes me happy, so that's my story. I'm sticking to it. But I love our great state. I love traveling. I love being here in Camden and being with you folks. Okay, take your copy of God's Word. Go to Colossians chapter 4. That's where we're going to be uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about the power of one. The power of one. We live in a time, in a day, in a culture that we don't think really one has much value. The number one really doesn't seem to mean much to anybody. We like tens and twenties and hundreds. I have three kids, 16, 12, and 8. I have my kids like I have my degrees, four years apart, all right? And so when I got done with my doctorate, my wife said, we're done all the way around. And so I have three kids, three degrees, uh, 16, 12, and 8. Um, and I've uh, come to learn that I used to not like $1 bills in my wallet. And now with three kids and one teenager, I like any bill in my wallet now, all right? So when I open up my wallet and see a one, I get happy in Jesus' name. So I'm just happy to have any money in the wallet. Um, but we, we, we really undervalue so much of the number one. But Paul here in Colossians chapter 4 is going to talk about the power and the value of one. Because see, that really was the theme of, the vow of really who Paul was. Paul in Colossians was saying, listen, Jesus is enough for me. And by the way, you'll never realize that Jesus is all you need until Jesus is all you have. And sometimes he allows us to hit rock bottom to realize he is the rock at the bottom. And we need to understand this morning the value 
of cooperation, the value of one. That was the whole theme. Jesus, what Paul is saying here is he says, listen, if Jesus is enough for me, he's enough for everyone. And the reality is Jesus is enough for you, and he's enough for me, but he wants us to go and tell other people. And by the way, that was on the heart of the Apostle Paul in every single letter that God used him to pen through the power of the Holy Spirit were two words. It was the words, thank you. Everywhere Paul went, he said, thank you. And I just want to tell you this morning, on behalf of the State Convention of Ohio, you may be here today, and you may be saying, man, why, does, why do we give to the cooperative program? Why do we give to the State Convention of Baptists of Ohio? Let me tell you why. Because God's above the pandemic, God's above the economy, and last year, in 2020, I want to tell you what God did. Through your giving, through your faithfulness to the cooperative program, we saw 588 new churches started in North America last year in a pandemic. You know why? Because you can't shut God down. That's exactly why. 588 churches were planted last year in North America, and 422 missionaries were commissioned and sent around the world to the nations that have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So in 2020, when things seem to be spiraling out of control, I want you to know that Psalm 115, verse 3 is still true. That our God's in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. His kingdom still is advancing. And last year, because of your faithfulness, because of your prayers, because of your giving, 588 new churches were started and over 400 missionaries were sent around the world. Can we give God praise for that and what he did? And I want to tell you, that's because of churches like this church. Because your giving makes an eternal difference. And I just want to say thank you. Because we could not do what we do if you didn't do what you do. And that's to help send and be generous to the offering. And I just want to say thank you. It means so, so much. Paul says, if Jesus is enough for me, he's enough for everyone. But we have to understand that we are his representatives. 2 Corinthians 5, we're his ambassadors. And Paul says here in Colossians 4, verses 2 through 6, let's read these scriptures. He says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us many opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That is why I'm here in chains. Pray that I will proclaim his message as clearly as I should living wisely among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be gracious and attractive so you will have the right response for everyone. You know what's amazing about Paul? Paul wasn't sitting here talking about, you know, the, the hundreds if not thousands of people that God used him to reach for Christ. He wasn't talking about the dozens and dozens of new churches that have been started. He was thinking about the next one. In the first service here, there were a bunch of brothers. They were walking in the service. They had their Browns jersey and their Bengals jerseys on. So I had to use a football illustration, okay? I've been in Tampa the past five years, and it's Tom Brady everything. But, you know, I heard an interview uh, with Tom Brady a few weeks ago, and they asked him, they said, hey, of all the Super Bowls you've won, what's your favorite Super Bowl? What's the favorite ring that you're thinking about? He said, you want to know the truth? He said, yeah, what's the answer? He said, I'm not thinking about the seven rings I've already won. I'm thinking about the next one. I'm thinking about number eight. That drive, that passion, right? And, that, and really, this is what Paul is saying here. Paul says, I'm not thinking about the hundreds if not thousands of people who have come to Christ because of my ministry. What Paul is saying here is I'm thinking about the next one. 
And listen, if Tom Brady and if the Apostle Paul can have that mentality, we can have that mentality. we got to be thinking about the next one. Who's the next person to come to faith in Christ? God put you here in this season for a reason. And we need to understand here the value of one, one dollar. Man, that seems like a lot, but boy, it sure does add up, doesn't it? I was raised by my, my grandparents in Memphis, Tennessee. And um, my dad left when I was young, and my grandparents really stepped in and, and helped raise me in many ways and uh, with struggles there in the home and, and gave me a good godly My grandmother was, she, she still lives 96 years old, right? I'm like, I, she's baking every day, and yet she's still just going. You know, it's unbelievable. Uh, and here she is, and my grandma just loves the Lord. She loves uh, the, the Great Commission. She'll always call me up and say, all right, son, what are you preaching? Are you preaching the word, you know? And she was always asking me that. My grandmother had a huge influence on in my life. When I was a boy, she had to take her medicine, and so she would always put me in the car and drive me down the road to a restaurant. Now, up here, we call it White Castle, but down south, where do they call it? A crystal hamburger, right? You have, you everybody has crystal? If you have crystal, they're great little square burgers, but you just got to make sure you're alone a few hours afterwards, okay? Because they're going to put a hurting on you. Um, but, you know, we, my grandma loved those things, and she would put me in the car, and she would go 10 minutes down the road, sit in 10 minutes of a drive through come around the speaker, and she would order one, one crystal. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know you can have blood pressure issues as a kid, but I did, because I was like, what is wrong with this picture, you know? I'm like, we went 10 minutes down the road, stood in line for 10 minutes in the drive through and now you just get one for 59 cents. At least get your grandson one. You know what I mean? And get me one. She says, well, that's all I want. One crystal. One. There's a potato chip company, right? That was their marketing slogan. I bet you can't eat just one. And you know what? You can still buy them at the store every single Sunday, right? You can, we, the power of one. And really, this is what Paul was talking about. He says, we need to be thinking about the one, the next one. So how can we do that? Because I believe I, God called me home to our state. Do you realize that we in Ohio, we have the seventh largest state population-wise in America? Nearly 12 million people live in this state. I believe God called me back here because I believe that I want to see, and I believe God wants to see a movement happen in our state. I believe that God has positioned us here. You live here. You work here. You go to church here. This is your home. This is your community. These are people all around you. And I believe that God, listen, I want our state to be more relevant than every four years of a presidential election. I want to see a movement here. I want to see an awakening here. I want to see a new generation raised up here. I want to see God move here. Does anybody in this room today want to see God move in our midst, in our city, and in this state? I want to see it. But listen, God's not going to send revival through a pastor. God's not going to send revival through a state director. God's going to send revival through the church. You're God's plan, church. You are. You're God's plan. God saved you. He called you. He brought you here to this moment, to this place, for this reason. God wants to do something in you so then he can do something through you. And I believe if we're going to see that happen, there's going to be a few things that have to happen. Number one, we got to be prayerful. We got to pray continuously. We in this culture, in the age of social media and technology and phones and iPads, man, we're just constantly scrolling all the time. 
we got to separate ourselves. At some point, we got to jump off Facebook and get back into God's book. At some point, we got to put down the phone and get back to prayer. Can I ask you a question? When's the last time you prayed and didn't fall asleep? When's the last time you prayed and just spoke to your Heavenly Father like He is your true God? When's the last time you prayed? So, Pastor Jeremy, I want to see God move. Have you prayed? Have you prayed for God to move? Friend Vance Pittman said, we don't pray before we work. Prayer is the work. And then God works. That was the heart of Paul was just praying. He starts off this letter asking them to pray. He starts praying for them. And here he says, pray for me. Paul was in prison. Paul wasn't saying, hey, can you come get me out of jail? Can you come bust me out? He wasn't saying, hey, can you send me some stuff? Can you give me more of this? No, Paul says, pray for me that I will have opportunities to share about Jesus. And that was his heart. No matter where he was, he was asking God for prayer, for a movement. As a matter of fact, these open doors he was asking for, he was wanting to see a movement right where he was. The grass isn't greener on the other side. The grass is greener right where you water it. God's not called you to be successful. He's called you to be faithful. Can I ask you a question? Are you faithful right where you are? Prayer. Prayer is the work. Be prayerful. Pray continuously. Daniel Henderson said, Prayer must be our first resolve and not our last resort if our work is to be marked by the unmistakable power of the Holy Spirit. I don't want to be a part of something that I can get credit for. I want to be a part of something that only God gets credit for. I want to see God move. I don't want to just read about it. I want to see it. I want to experience it. I want to know it. I want to see the hand of God. we got to pray. Did you know that in a recent Pew uh, research uh, study, they did of believers who claim to be Christians, that only 55% of people who claim to be a Christian actually pray every day. 16% said they pray on a weekly basis. Only 6% said they pray monthly. And 23% of people who claim to be a Christian said they seldom pray. And by the way, women are more likely than men to pray on a daily basis, 60% to 40. So here's what I'll say about that. Next time you got a prayer request, you're probably going to get prayed for a whole lot more if you take it to a lady, not a fella, okay? That's just the way it works. So look for a lady to pray for you because she's more often to pray for you than not. Prayer precedes proclamation. You want to have a burden for people? Pray for them. It's easy to gossip about somebody and slander them. It's a lot harder to pray for them when they're sick. You know what's kind of difficult? It's kind of difficult to gossip about somebody when you're praying for them. What if we gossip the gospel? What if we didn't send that text? What if we didn't upload that tweet? What if we didn't put that post on Instagram? What if we didn't put out that thing that we're, you know, we're ready to talk about? What if we just instead dropped to our knees and just prayed? Wouldn't our nation be different? Wouldn't our homes and our families and our relationships with our friends and coworkers be different? Wouldn't our campuses be different if prayer was our first stop, not our last resort? Pray. You want to see God move in this church? Pray. You want to see God move in our state? Pray. 
You want to see God move in our nation? Pray. If my people who will hear my voice and will humble themselves and do what? Pray. Jesus did not say, if you pray and if you fast. Jesus said, when you pray and when you fast. It is expected for us to be a people who pray and fast the same way. We've got to pray continuously. We've got to be prayerful if we want to see God move. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. If you look at the original Greek rendering, it's kind of like the Nike slogan, right? Nike's phrase, Nike, just what? Do it. So Nike owes the Bible, right, because they ripped it off from the Greek New Testament. I doubt they knew that when they were doing it. But really, that's exactly what Paul was saying here in this verse in the Greek rendering. He says, prayer, just do it. That's exactly what Paul is saying. He says, don't think about it. Don't study it. Do it. Pray. And you know what? In churches, we got so many Bible studies, and we got conferences, and we got podcasts, and we got technology. We got everything at our fingertip. We can do so many things with technology, but it doesn't substitute actual prayer. Pray. When was the last time you just gathered a few people and just prayed? Students, you want to get your campus? This just a church game for you, or is it real? This is playtime on Sunday, or do you own your faith? By the way, God has no grandchildren. Now listen, I know we love our grandkids. Grand, one day, right? I love watching grandparents. They're like, oh, give me those kids, sugar them up, and give them right back to mom and dad, right? Just give them right. What a great joy that's got to be. But you know what? As much as God loves your grandkids, he, he doesn't have grandkids anymore. You know what that means, students? You can't go to heaven on your mom and dad's faith. You've got to have your own faith. And your mom can't save you, and your dad can't save you, but Jesus can save you. It's got to become yours, and it's got to be real. You can't be faked. Church, we've got to pray. You want to see people in your family saved? You've got to pray. You want to see this nation repent? You've got to pray. You want to see God move at Camden, this corner of hope? We've got to pray. We've got to pray like it matters. We've got to do it. And Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer with an alert mind and a thankful heart. Pray for us, too, that God will give us opportunities to speak about his mysterious plan concerning Christ. That's why I'm here in chains. Pray that I'll proclaim this message as clearly as I should. Nowhere does Paul say, hey, feel sorry for me. I'm in prison. Look at me. Look what I'm suffering. Nowhere. Paul says, Pray that I'll be faithful right where I'm at, in this prison, in these chains, in this cell, so that I can have an open door to talk about Jesus. That's power. I read this and I go, man, I, I don't know if I could say that. I'm just being honest this morning. I look at this story and I go, I don't know if my faith is legit as what Paul is saying here. I mean, that's the power of God to be able to write these words and say, I'm in prison, I'm losing my life, I'm not concerned about me. I care about other people more than I care about myself. Would to God that we would have the same vision and mentality and the power of one as Paul. You don't get there without prayer. That neighbor that drives you nuts, 
taking you. That person driving you crazy on campus, pray for them. That coworker you can barely look at, pray for them. And don't sit here and look at me all spiritual. You know who I'm talking about. There's people around. Listen, you'll cry at their funeral, but you won't go on vacation with them. You know what I mean? They're just those kind of people that just drive you crazy. Pray for them. Pray for them. That's the word. Be prayerful. Pray continuously. Number two, be mindful. Act wisely. Be mindful. Look what he says in verse 5. Live wise among those who are not believers and make the most of every opportunity. Rick Warren calls this the principles of receptivity. Anytime people experience change, whether positive or negative, they develop a hunger for spiritual stability, right? There's times of transition, like when you get a, a new baby or a new job and you go to a new home or a new community or there you get a job promotion. There's, there's times of, of transition, right? People are looking for spiritual answers. They're looking for spiritual help in times of transition. When someone has a new baby in the house, they're praying. You know what they're praying for? Sleep in Jesus' name, right? They're, they're praying. People are praying for new transitions and to make new friends into a new community and a new school and a new job, a new marriage. Who is this person that I married two weeks ago? They're looking for answers. They're looking for help. And we have the answers. Then we talk about football. We talk about our friends. We talk about our family. But where's our faith? Man, it's so easy to talk about football, right? Oh, man, the Bengals, they're going to win. Or the Browns are, they're probably not going to win. But it doesn't really matter. Like, we talk about football so much, like it just rolls off our tongue. Why doesn't our faith roll off our tongue? You ever wonder that? People are looking. They're looking for help. They're looking for hope. They're looking for healing. And we have the answers. My wife's a cancer nurse. She was a nurse at St. Jude Hospital in Memphis for eight years. I don't know how she did it. She would often come home and say, man, if I, we ever found a cure for cancer, I'd run to the highest mountain and say I was wrong about this. And you know, we have the answer for spiritual sin and sickness, and yet are we talking about it? Are we finding the highest hill and the highest mountain, telling other people where to find this cure and how to, how to receive the medicine? Jesus Christ. We have what people are looking for. There's, there's times of transition, and when people are fearful and they're anxious, they often look for something greater than themselves to ease the pain and to fill the void that they often feel. There's times of transition, and there's times of tension. Divorce is on the horizon. The doctor just gave you a bad diagnosis. A child has gone wayward. Your employer said it's over after 30 years. Where do you turn? What do you do? It happens every day in families. It happens every day in this community. And people are looking for hope. They're looking for help. They're looking for healing. They're looking for stability in a time of so much instability. They're looking for the rock. They're looking for Jesus. They're looking for answers. And we have that. If you know Jesus, you have the answers. You have the cure. But you got to open the mouth and you got to say it. Dr. Roy Fish, who was an old evangelism professor, used to say you can't serve God and share God with a zip lip. You got to open it up at some point. You got to share it. You got to say it. People are, are looking and they're wanting. Be mindful. 
act wisely. We're so ready. We have to pray. We've got to be ready. But not just in times of transition and tension, but also turbulence. Several years ago, I remember when I was flying back, I was in uh, Colorado speaking at a conference. I was flying back to Columbus because I was still a pastor. I had to preach on Sunday morning. And I was flying back, and as a good church planner, starting a new church in Columbus, I put on Ohio State colors, right? You can't plan a church in Columbus and survive without putting on scarlet and gray. And I found that out really, really quick. Um, and so I put on my Ohio State shirt and pants, and I flew back to Columbus. And this lady, uh, the, we were flying back, and it got a little turbulent, as it can be, you know, going through Chicago sometimes. And uh, I remember um, the captain of the, of the plane coming on and saying, hey, by the way, it's going to get really bad here for a little bit. No service. Everybody sit down, buckle up, and just pray for our landing. We're like, okay, so we're there, you know. And this lady turned around, and she looked at me, and she said, are you a coach for Ohio State? And I said, no, ma'am. Um, I'm just a church planner in Columbus. She said, oh, I thought you were somebody important. And she turned around, and she kept on going. Um, about an hour and a half later, that same lady during the turbulence, when everybody was starting to throw up on the plane and we didn't know if we were going to land or not, she turned around and she said, are you that pastor I just talked to an hour ago? I said, yeah, I'm the one that's not important, right? I'm, not, I'm that guy, you know? But it just, it was fun because I got to start witnessing and praying with people all around me on the plane uh, because they didn't know if we were going to land or not. And obviously we did because I'm here with you today. But people are always looking for hope and answers in a time of transition and tension and even turbulence. And I'm telling you, we live in a turbulent time right now. Now is the time. Now is the moment to lead and to speak and to share. People are looking. We need to be mindful. We need to act wisely. Acts 16 is one of my favorite stories. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying, and they were singing hymns to God, and other prisoners were listening. And suddenly, and by the way, your decisions don't just affect you, they affect everyone around you as well. People are watching and listening whether you know it or not. Paul and Silas were in prison. They were praying. They were singing hymns to God. And other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake and the prison was shaken to its foundations. See, Elvis didn't have the first jailhouse rock or the house to sing. I can say that because I'm from Memphis. All the doors immediately flew open and the chains of the, every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open and assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. Why was he going to do that? Why was he going to draw the sword and kill himself? Because that was the penalty if you lost a prisoner on your watch during the day. Paul knew that. This is what happens when you're more concerned with other people than you are yourself. Paul said, I don't care about my freedom. Paul could have said, you know what? Hey, this is the moment. Look what God did. He's opened up the doors, right? And we can just walk on out and just kind of roll out. No, Paul said, even though I can be physically free, if that man draws his sword from his sleeve and kills himself, he's going to spend eternity in hell. That's what happens in Acts 16 story. He says, don't you do it. We're all here. Don't you kill yourself. Paul was more concerned about this man's spiritual eternity than he was his own temporary physical freedom in this world. That's the power of love. Paul was always concerned with the next one, 
Who's the next person that God's going to put in my path to hear about Jesus Christ? It's not about my life. It's not about my comfort. It's not about my freedom. It's about my responsibility and stewardship of my life to tell other people the good news found only in Christ. In Acts 16, he says, don't kill yourself. We're all here. And the jailer called for lights and ran in the dungeon and fell down before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? This man was in so much shock. Why would you stay and not run? You know what I learned as a little boy in Sunday school when I was six years old? I had a lady. Her name was Miss Hazel Jenkins. She was probably four foot eight. She probably weighed 90 pounds, soaking wet. She was about that big, that tall. And I remember her teaching me a little thing as a six-year-old boy in Sunday school, the word joy. Jesus, others, you. I'm 42 years old. It's been 36 years. I think about that almost every single day of my life. Jesus, others, you. Paul said, Jesus, others, you is the priority in my life. And because of that, he stays. This jailer is shocked. He says, what must I do to be saved? Why? Because he had been hearing Paul sing, they died for our sins. He had been listening to Paul sing and praise God in prison going, what is with this lunatic? And God answers, why? Why did the jail break open? Why? Because they prayed. Pray. Pray until something happens. Pray. They shared the word of the Lord with them, and all who lived in his household were saved. And they were baptized. Unbelievable. Power of the gospel. Pray Act wisely. Watch your surroundings every single day. People are around you every single day. The school, the campus, work, the grocery store, Starbucks, everywhere you go, the field, the court, the gym, everywhere you go every single day, someone's around you that God's going to put in your path. The question is, is will we actually obey or not obey? And by the way, it's not the truth you know that changes you. It's the truth you obey that changes your life. It's one thing to know to share your faith. It's another thing to actually obey and share your faith. Dr. David Hughes, pastor of First Baptist Orlando, said someone is waiting on the other side of your obedience. Someone's waiting. Pastor Jeremy, does sharing with one really matter? I think so. Luke 15, 7 says, In the same way there is more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents, and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't stayed away. There's a party. Man, there's a party in heaven. Do you? I have three kids. My eight-year-old, he asked me a few months ago, he said, hey, Dad, he goes, you know, it's great theology from an eight-year-old, right? Charlie Brown Christmas pays off, right? And so my little boy is asking me a question. He's like, hey, Dad, why do we, why do we hang out here after we get, we get saved? Like if if this is all like real and stuff, if we're if I just became a Christian, how come God does just take me to straight to heaven and be done? That's a great question, Jack. It's 
song, Jack, Jack, from Incredibles, because he's got crazy energy like Jack, Jack, and he was fast. And I said, Jack, this is a great question. I said, God leads us here to bring as many people with us as possible. See, the reality is there's an after party in heaven. You guys are in the parties and hanging out and being in the cool spots. Here's the reality. The best place you can be is in heaven. There's an after party called heaven. And God wants you to bring as many people. You're not responsible for somebody becoming a Christian, but you are responsible for giving them the invitation to become a Christian. you got to tell people about it. There's a party in heaven, and God says, I'm going to leave you on this earth, and you're going to be my ambassadors. You're going to plead with people. You're going to witness to people. You're going to pray for them, and you're going to invite them to this party in heaven. You know, people say, well, I tell you what, heaven's going to be, you know what makes heaven heaven? It's not going to be mansions. It's not going to be streets of gold. It's the presence of God. A lot of people say to me, oh, Pastor Jeremy, that was a long hour and a half service. Well, listen, if an hour and a half is long for you, heaven's going to be a little bit of a different game for you. Because there's going to be a lot of worship in heaven. So if you can't handle an hour and a half, you're going to struggle, Jack. It is going to be a long stretch for you. you gonna be, we're going to be worshiping God in heaven. But what makes heaven heaven is the presence of God. God says he wants you to, to bring as many people with you as possible. But to do that, we got to pray continuously, and we got to act wisely. Number three, and I'll close, we got to be respectful and speak graciously. Look what verse 6 says. It says, let your conversation be gracious and offensive, so that you will have the right response to offend your neighbor. Speak kindly, speak graciously. It means to be attractive or winsome or wholesome. Just as salt brings out the right flavor of food, so aptly chosen words will serve when occasions arise to defend or explain one's faith. Romans 2, verse 4, Paul said, Don't you see how wonderfully kind, tolerant, and patient God is with you? This, is, this means nothing to you. Can't you see this, the kindness that's intended to turn you away from your sin? Listen, it's kind of hard to be a good witness when you're a rude person. So we got to be people who are kind and nice and smile. You know what I mean? Like, be happy, be joyful, and be winsome, and realize that people all around us that are struggling and hurting, God's called us to share with them the good news. And put a smile on our face and be joyful and be happy and be winsome and let it be speech that's attractive, not cutting down. We need to be kind. Robert Coleman said, When will the church learn this lesson that preaching to the masses, although necessary, will never suffice in the work of preparing leaders for evangelism, nor can occasional prayer meetings and training classes for Christian workers do the job. Individual women and individual men are God's method. God's plan for evangelism and God's plan for discipleship is not something, but someone. Church, it's you. You're God's plan. If we're going to see a movement in Ohio, if we're going to see a movement here at Camden, it's going to start with you. It's going to start with every single one of us remembering what it was like to be lost and then be saved and never get over it. And have a burden and a passion for people. When's the last time you cared more about someone else than yourself? We're in such a selfish Everything's about us. 
our latest text, our latest tweet, the latest Instagram post, our latest Facebook media showing. Everything is about us. We gotta ask God to forgive us and make Him first priority in our life. We gotta put Jesus first. We gotta make others second. God does not choose and use the wisest and the wealthiest. He uses the most willing. John MacArthur said that God skipped all the wise of that day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers, they were in Athens. The powerful, they were in Rome. But he chose men so ordinary it was almost comical. Unlettered, uneducated fishermen that no one had ever heard. Dare to be an Andrew. Andrew was in the shadows. Andrew was the first of all disciples to be called in John chapter 1. He only appears nine times in the New Testament. And often he's introduced as the brother of Simon Peter, like a shadow or an afterthought. But he brought Peter to Jesus, and he also brought the boy with his lunch to Jesus. He is known by many as the first home missionary to the Jews and the first foreign missionary to the Gentiles. Tradition says he went into northern Russia and Scotland, ultimately crucified in Achaia near Athens, Greece. He led the Roman governor's wife to Christ and then was crucified for it. He was lashed to an ex-state cross, and for nearly two days while he hung there and died, he exhorted passerby to turn to Jesus and then they were saved. a lot about Peter. You don't hear much about Andrew, do you? We just say Andrew's not because he's important if not more. But our faith is for him. Amen. You may have never heard of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was determined to win his Sunday school class for Christ in the there was a teenage boy in a Sunday school class who fell asleep every single Sunday morning. One day he got tired of him falling asleep, and he decided to go where this young man worked in the afternoon on Sundays to a shoe store. Kimball was undeterred, set out to reach him at work. His heart was pounding as he entered the store where the young man worked. He said, I put my hand on his shoulder. As I leaned over, I placed my foot upon a shoe box, and I asked that young man to come to Christ. Edward Kimball, a Sunday school teacher, left thinking he had botched the job and blown the whole thing. However, that young man that afternoon had trusted and received Christ there in that shoe store as a teenage boy. He left that store, a new person, and eventually became the most prominent evangelist in North America. His name was D.L. Moody. And on June 17, 1873, Moody arrived in Liverpool, England for a series of crusades. The meetings were very poorly attended, but then the dam burst open and blessings began to flow, and Moody visited a Bible Baptist chapel pastored by a scholar named F.B. Meyer, who at first disdained the Americans' unlettered preaching. But Meyer was soon transfixed and transformed by Moody's message. At Moody's invitation, Meyer toured America. 
at the Northfield Bible Conference, he challenged the crowds, saying, if you're not willing to give up everything for Christ, are you willing to be made willing? And that remark changed the life of a struggling young minister named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman proceeded to become a powerful traveling evangelist in the early 20th century, and he recruited a baseball player named Billy Sunday. Under Chapman's eye, Billy Sunday became one of the most prominent, spectacular evangelists in American history. His campaign in Charlotte, North Carolina, produced a group of believers who continued praying for another such visitation of the Holy Spirit in revivals. And in 1934, they invited evangelist Mordecai Ham to conduct a citywide crusade. On October the 8th, Ham was discouraged, went back to his hotel, wrote a prayer to God on the stationery of his Charlotte hotel, saying, Lord, give us a Pentecost here. Pour out thy spirit tonight. His prayer was answered beyond his dreams the next night when a young teenage, tall, lanky boy who was in the choir that night in the invitation got out of the choir and walked down and gave his life to Christ that night. His name was a young teenage Billy Graham who gave his life to Jesus Christ. You know of Billy Graham, you may not know of Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was an Andrew who cared about the one. You see, Kimball led D.L. Moody to Christ, who influenced Wilbur Chapman, who influenced Billy Sunday, who influenced Mordecai Ham, who ultimately preached the gospel when Billy Graham was saved in November. The power of one. God's calling you to be one. He's calling you to be an Andrew. He's calling you to be an Edward Kimball. He's calling you. We need to understand, church, that we need to be prayerful. We need to pray continuously. We need to be mindful. We need to be acting wisely, watching our surroundings, walking circumspectly, and we need to be respectful, and we need to speak graciously. Because here's the reality at the end of the day. God hasn't called you to be someone. He's called you to know someone. He's called you to know someone. He's called you to know Jesus and to know him and know him crucified to proclaim him for the rest of your life until you go to meet him. And here's my question as we close this service. Who's your one? Who's the person you're praying for? Who's the person you're sharing with? Maybe you're here today, and the reason you're not sharing Jesus is because you don't know Jesus. You can be in church and not be in Christ. Coming to church is a wonderful thing. Sitting in church is a great thing. But coming to church and sitting in, in church does not make you any more of a Christian than me sitting in my garage make me a Protestant. At some point, that faith has to be transferred. You have to earn it. You need to make sure that you're saved. Today. Maybe you're here and you need to be saved. Maybe there's a reason you're not telling somebody about someone you don't really know. Maybe today's the day of your salvation if you come put your faith in. Maybe you're here today, you say, oh, Pastor Jeremy, I do know Jesus, but it's been a long time since I've prayed about someone else in my church. Maybe today God wants to break your heart for what they said. Maybe God wants you to return. Maybe you've been distracted. Maybe you've been discouraged. Maybe you've kind of been derailed from the things that really matter in life. In the kingdom of God. Go back to time. Go back to the time when that guilt 
was lifted, that weight was torn off of me. And I saw for the first time the glory of God. Go back to that. I know Pastor Greg's not here, and I know you don't really know who I am. That's all right. But you know what? This is still a great church. And today can be a great day to be saved. Today can be a great day to come join this church and be on mission with this church. Today's a great day to come make these steps in the altar. In the first service, people were at these steps, and they were praying. They were seeking the Lord. Maybe God's calling you in this service at this hour, at this moment, to get your heart right with the Lord. I'll be here. Other leaders will be here. If you want to come and be saved, listen, today is the day of salvation. Why put off until tomorrow what you want to take care of today? Yesterday is a history. You can't go back. Tomorrow is a mystery. You don't know what it holds. But today is a gift. That's what it's all because. You're not promised tomorrow, church. You've got today. You've got this moment to get it right. We're going to sing a song of invitation. And as we sing, I'll be down front. You come. You come pray. Ask the Lord to stir your heart. Ask the Lord to break your heart for what breaks yours. Let's get outside ourselves. Paul said, put that sword back in the sword. I don't care about my freedom give one rip. I care about your spiritual life. Don't you do it. He got to lead an entire family to faith in Jesus. Why? Jesus takes others' suffering to Christ's life. Either we believe that or we don't. This is not just Sunday morning church. This is our church. We're talking about it. Make sure you believe it. Make sure you own it and possess it. We're going to sing. You come. To Jesus I surrender me, me Savior, holy God. Let me feel thy holy spirit truly all that thou art mine.
going to keep playing softly just for a moment. People are still praying. As you leave, the invitation doesn't stop. God still moves away from the door. But today can be the day you put your faith in Jesus Christ. It will be the greatest decision you ever make. A true friend is someone who walks in and everyone else has walked out. And scripture says that Jesus is a ran closer than a brother. When Jesus comes in, he never leaves. Invest your life today. Focus on the things that matter most at eternal value. And ask God to meet you right where you are. Amen? Amen. It's been a joy to be here with you. What a faithful, great church you are. Thank you for loving the Lord and being so kind and hospitable today. It means the world to me. This truly is a corner of hope for Camden. So as we leave, we're not members of a church. We're missionaries out of the church. Let's be on mission and tell people about Jesus every single place that we go. Amen?